Rocio, and I am first-generation Dominican. Hi, I'm Mercedes, and I was born in Santo Domingo, Dominican Republic. And we are Amplifying the Afro in Afro-Dominican. Hey, Rocio. Hi, Mercedes. How are you? I'm great. How are you? I'm good. What's poppin'? Yo, we had like a really good week this week. We sure did. Yeah. We should tell the listeners. We were invited to speak at a Latinx Heritage Month event. Yes. At the University of the District of Columbia, which I didn't know is a, tra- a traditional um, HBCU. HBCU, yeah. historically back university. Yeah. Um, and it was so fun and exciting. It first, was really dope. First, Shout out to yeah. University of District of Columbia. Yeah. Um, our family friend Ada, who invited us yes. to be on. You and guys, it was our first speaking engagement. It was our first speaking <laughs> engagement. It was really cool. It was so awesome. First of all, I, I just love how young everyone was. Like, I mean. I mean, I like older people, too. Yeah, but I just like, I have an appreciation for like. The youth. The youth. Yes. I just remember me at 20 and I wasn't thinking about like, how could I progress? (laughs) And they had dope questions. Like they were super prepared. Right? Yeah. That was so cute. Yeah. And it was a lot of people on Zoom. And there was a lot of people. And you know, the professors and staff were there too. Yeah, the professors were awesome too. It was a mixture of people. It wasn't like just young people. I'm just saying that I'm impressed with the youth. Yes, me too. Because I just remember when I was 20 and I was not nearly that impressive. Yeah. And I love that they're self-reflecting and talking about the history. And, you know, we talked a lot about just our experiences as Afro-Latinas, mm-hmm. you know, and I, I remember you talking, you know, you mentioned something about the education that we got when it came to knowing our history. Yeah, because I feel like it's funny in high school, I was in like AP oh, history, yeah. which is What's like that? advanced placement. History. Oh, I my God. Um. And what's funny is, A, I don't remember any of the shit I learned. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and B, I think it's the reason why I don't remember it is because it wasn't like a real connection or value yeah, to me. Yeah, and it wasn't interesting. Yeah, exactly. You know, I think I just knew how to write reports well. <laughs> and how advanced really were you? You know what I mean? Like yeah. this advanced placement. Dude, it was not yes. advanced. It like was, how it was, advanced were you it, from your classmates, you know? Yeah, it it's was all not. BS. It was it was all BS. It was just because I, I was able to like maintain a like 95 average. Yeah, it I wasn't really because I had like actual skills of history. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. And when I think about it, like, I know nothing of Dominican history, which is why I'm so excited about today. Me too. Oh, my God. We have a dope-ass guest today. Yes, we do. His name is Anthony Stevens Acevedo. Yes. And he is a researcher of Dominican archival manuscripts. He works from 2004 to 2018 at CUNY Dominican Studies Institute, mm. where he was assistant director from 2007 to 2018. He retired last year, July 2019, and before that, a social studies teacher in city's public schools for about 10 years. Wow. He was he's a legit historian. Then. Yeah, oh legit. So, he also led research projects on Dominican colonial history, like the first blacks in the Americas and the Spanish paleography, is that how you say it? Digital teaching and learning tool, digital platforms. And the monographs, 
Juan Rodriguez and the beginnings of New York City and the Santo Domingo slave revolt of 1521 and the slave laws of 1522, black slavery and black resistance in the early colonial Americas. Hell yeah. And he was born in New York City. He grew up in DR in San Pedro de Macorís. He pursued a BA in history in Spain and since then has resided in New York City where he obtained his master's in history from CUNY. Yeah, and I believe um, has his PhD. At least that's what my mother told me. <laughs> I guess that's we'll find out. What an honor. Dude, what an honor. We have like a legit l- historian right now. Oh my now. God, I'm so excited. I'm so excited to listen to this guy. All right, let's get him on. Let's do it. All right, we'll, we'll, we'll jump in. And, and the reason that we um, wanted to, to, to include this, we're doing this podcast and it's Afro-Dominican podcast. And growing up, I mean, we both felt like we lost a lot of our history. We didn't get a lot of our history, especially when it comes to Dominican Republic. And so I feel like sometimes we're playing catch up and trying to put all the pieces together. And so I think it's important to to research and to also learn more about where did we come from and how do how did all of this come together especially with the African influences because it's something that is definitely left out and so I feel like I'm always constantly looking for more books or trying to find out more about where I come from yeah yes and I was like I don't need I don't know anything about the his Dominican history you know what I mean? Because mm-hmm. we're not taught that in schools and stuff. Yeah. My parents, unfortunately, yeah, I, didn't I, really I, talk about it either. My mom occasionally would say something about the American invasion in, in DR because uh-huh. that's why she basically yeah. moved here. But aside from that, like, I know nothing about the history of that island. So we were excited. Well, uh, we wanted to focus on I, that. I have to warn you um, that um, um, if if in regular terms what i do is usually described as uh, historical research and i would be described by many people uh as the historian because of the focus of what i do i actually consider myself a very absent-minded historical researcher i feel much more comfortable with that uh image because um sometimes i find that uh, when people identify the, the word historian with uh, somebody who is basically like a like a history encyclopedia walking a walking history encyclopedia a guy or a person that knows all the dates all the events and so on nothing further from my case but given what you just said i would admit that probably i'm in general terms more familiarized with uh, dominican history and um, definitely always um, willing to engage the conversation because i think it's something very important yeah so let's let's give it a try uh, you know yeah uh, let's give it a 63 try three years of age after being a high school teacher in new york for about 10 years and uh, working 15 years in cuny um i hope uh, i might have something useful to tell you yes 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 let me just share something with you because what what you just shared is i think it's very important the experience you just shared mm-hmm. um uh, since since several years ago, uh, one of my 
big obsessions as, a, let's say, a member of the Dominican community in the metro area has been the issue of the the very limited, I was going to say lack of, but I'm going to say the very limited amount of opportunities that there are for young Dominican Americans and young people interested in Dominican American history, in, in Dominican history, to learn that history. And uh, it's going to sound like a plug, a kind of payola thing, but I'm going to tell you, uh, some of us have been trying to persuade the City University of New York and SUNY to basically create departments devoted to teaching Dominican history and culture, because we think that because of the size of the Dominican community in New York, we are more than three quarters of a million people. Yeah. I mean, badly counted in New York City only. Yeah. And uh, you're going to have to struggle to find in CUNY on a regular basis an offering about Dominican history and culture. To me, that's plainly shameful. Yeah. I retired a year ago from CUNY, but I've been saying it since long ago. While I was an employee, no matter you know what could happen to me in terms of retribution or whatever. So it it connects exactly what with what you were saying. Yes. Uh, we didn't have Dominican studies offering in CUNY nor in SUNY, mm -hmm. and uh, we have very little Dominican studies offering in the schools in terms of what happens in the classroom, even when the Department of Education of New York City has already kind of identified Dominican uh, history and, leg and uh, uh, legacy as an item worth of attention in their curriculum guides. Mm. But that does not translate yet into giving hundreds. I mean, the estimate since years ago is that we probably have more than 100,000 young children in New York City schools of Dominican ancestry. Wow. Yeah. And they are not given that opportunity on a regular basis because it's not just, you know, one day for Dominican Day independence in, in February right. or in August. Yeah. It's it's a regular offering what we need. So I pretty much empathize with what you just said and I couldn't restrain myself from sharing the yes. concern. You know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you. I remember in college, like I mean, I remember looking for a class that had something and I remember taking this class that it was called the history of the Caribbean so it was not just Dominican Republic it was Dominican Republic it was a bunch of other countries and so Dominican Republic got like maybe a page or two and and it was taught honestly by this white teacher who yeah. I really didn't feel like she I connected to her I didn't understand you know I didn't get enough of what I I needed and I mean that was all we had in that in that school but I mean, especially here in CUNY with the city schools, like you said, there's so many Dominicans in CUNY yeah, so that, many. that doesn't make any sense why they wouldn't have that. Because we are now, there's a whole bunch of us, a whole generation of us that want to know, you know, we need to know our yeah. history. Yeah. So really thank important. you so much for doing <laughs> this for us because we need it. Yes. Thank you. Thank well, you. Uh, the only thing I can tell you, if you can mobilize more people to demand this, you can count with me as a volunteer because I have kind of almost run out of energies yeah. writing letters, wow. concept papers, statements, sending the, sending them to politicians all over the place, you know, including our own Dominican American elected officials, which are few, not that many. Mm -hmm. But uh, it's like um, it's an item that people are not that ready to accept. Mm. And they always at the end, uh, many of them, 
come with an excuse as to how, why in the multi-billion budgets of the city and the state, there can't be, not yet, you know, a, a, a space, a slot to fund the teaching of Dominican um, uh, studies. Mm. And the same goes with other minorities, by the way. So it's, yes. it's a larger issue. Yes. But I, 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 I'm, I'm concerned and I put my energies in demanding that in terms of the Dominican community, while others do that for their own communities. But what I wanted to share with you is that this is something that is in the plate of many of the elected officials that we are most familiarized with or their mm. assistants. Talk about making phone calls or sending emails, talking to the offices. You know, I'm going to send you this letter, this concept paper for you, this proposal for you to consider. There's, there's, uh, there's never resources. There's never a chance. There's always something more important. And, yeah. uh, you know, those of those, those people that are used to struggle and demand things are used to this kind of responses. Um, you have to keep insisting, insisting and mobilizing. But I have to admit, that um, my effort has been reached the point where I would need to engage with uh, younger people like you guys and, and many more yeah. to create some kind of a movement because unless the politicians feel that what you are demanding might have potentially an impact in the voting, right, or in the yeah. public image, they are public images, they usually don't, um, don't respond because they, they have demands from all over the place. But believe me, uh, it's long overdue. This I see it as a, I see it as a state and city cultural social debt of New York City and New York State towards Dominicans as 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 a people in New York. The fact that SUNY doesn't have the, the estimate is that SUNY has around let's say somewhere between sixteen and twenty five thousand students of Dominican ancestry. It's an estimate, okay? Mm -hmm. But let's say sixteen thousand. There's not one course for those 16,000 students in SUNY about Dominican heritage. Come wow. on. It, I mean, it's, it, 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 it's, it's incredible. And yeah. the, the interesting thing is that when you talk to the high-ranking officials in the state, there's always a reason why it cannot happen, you know. So why is that? Yeah. Hmm. That's a, yeah, that's a, that's. That's incredible. To, that's so crazy to me now yeah. that, I'm, you know, like it did, the thought of this didn't even occur to me. And now that you're mentioning it, I'm like totally in shock <laughs> that, that yeah. this I is. I mean, it. listen, when you put together, I was, I was doing this kind of rough comparison the other day. When you put together the numbers of about 25, 26,000 Dominican students in CUNY, mm -hmm. and you put together, let's say the 16,020 in SUNY. You're talking about roughly 50,000 students of Dominican ancestry only in both, uh, in, in both uh, university systems. 50,000 people is much more than more than half of the towns that are contained within New York State. Yeah, I exactly. Look at the, list the other day, if you, if you look at the demographic of the states, yeah. a list of the largest cities and you come down, uh, we would be, our students in CUNY and SUNY would be like city number 25 or 30. Believe yeah. it or not, yeah. so it's um, it's it's long overdue. I'm going to keep so. insisting because, as you were saying, the price we are paying is that generations. Because it's not only your generation; it's the prior generation that grew up here as well. Yeah, um, are not being given the opportunity to learn more about the history that your families bring. Yes, we bring on our backs. Who 
which explains why we are the way we are. Yes. yes. And which also shows the contributions and the efforts of Dominicans in the past, you know, and why we work so hard here and what we have to offer as a, as part of the so-called American mosaic, you know. Yeah. That's good to know that we can also, I had no idea that we can actually let our elected officials know that that's something that we want. Like, yeah. that we, we don't even know that, you know, that that's something that we can actually propose to them as well. Yeah. You see, what happens is that in CUNY, as in almost all universities, the center of academic power is actually in the, at the departments. These units of professors that are institutionally mandated to teach certain, certain kinds of subjects, sociology, anthropology, economics, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. law, whatever. Yeah. Uh, these professors are the ones that have the power to accept, reject, or create or not courses. And uh, my experience has been that when you present these Dominican courses to these departments, they don't always consider them that much of a priority because they, they, they are not coming from the community kind of concerns that we bring in terms of the need for all these thousands of Dominican young people to learn the, uh, their history as well as other Americans that might be interested in learning right, you know, the course. history of these uh, fellow Americans that are now called Dominican Americans. Yeah. So that's why some of us are insisting that what needs to happen is for the government or maybe a big philanthropist, if he or she wants, obviously, no problem with that, to allocate a minimum amount of funds for the university to create Dominican studies departments. That is three, four, five, six professors in different disciplines mm -hmm. who are devoted and dedicated full time to teaching Dominican courses without having to go and beg and kneel down and, and, and ask for a permission to be allowed to teach a Dominican course. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. CUNY has a few courses, but far from what we need. Extremely yeah. far from what we need. And it's about time, believe me. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So in, do you have any idea like what Dominican Republic and Haiti, because it was it's it is one island when when you look at it. Do you know what it was like by any chance before colonization or before it was colonized by the well, I have a general idea that yeah. there's a lot of con of consensus about that. You know, basically, as most of the or all the Caribbean islands, including the larger ones that tend to be more in the west of the Caribbean, like Puerto Rico, La Española, or Cuba, you know, it, it was basically lands uh, uh, inhabited by uh, indigenous peoples uh, that had been living there for thousands of years, which uh, who originally came from northern South America, uh, let's say, um, roughly speaking, the area where Venezuela and part of Brazil and the Guyanas are nowadays, yeah. where migrations, people by boat, I mean, tens of thousands of years ago that migrated to these islands, colonized them, established themselves there. They had, they had uh, as from all evidence, you know, a political system that organized them into communities led by certain kind of leaders. Uh, above whom there were other leaders, kinds of uh, kings, if you want, called cacicazgos and caciques. And uh, there were agriculturalists. They practiced uh, a mix of agriculture, some hunting. Okay. And uh, these are the guys that uh, the Europeans found uh, in uh, in the islands when they arrived. So we, in terms of the to, today's nations in the Caribbean, we all share 
that earlier background, which was a pretty common one because it was widespread presence. I mean, there seems there were some ethnic differences between the indigenous, different types of indigenous peoples, yeah. considering, you know, those that le lived more like in Cuba and Western uh, Caribbean coast of Central America versus those that lived more to the east in the smaller islands. But altogether, the notion is that you had this uh, pretty dominant uh, and, and widespread presence of um, indigenous people that shared a lot of the same, same culture. And on top of that, obviously, then came the Europeans and they, they, they brought the Africans. And then history changed a lot because the, the scenario changed from uh, an area where a very, uh, I would say, relatively homogeneous culture dominated the indigenous ones yeah. versus these new cultures that formed, Creole cultures, that formed from the mixing in different ways, according to different places that took place when the Europeans came, tried to dominate or colonize the indigenous peoples, and then shortly afterwards began to bring in thousands and thousands uh, of uh, enslaved Africans to work. And from that mix, uh, something very, very different came up, which is basically our ancestors in terms of uh, our multi-ethnic and multi-racial identities that we, I think, we share today. Yeah. So it's, it's basically that. We, we went from a homogeneous uh, set of cultures to a much more diverse um, mm -hmm. set of cultures that came as a result of colonization, slavery, mm -hmm. imperialism, and so on and so forth. Yeah. Plus so, yeah. other migrations that happened much later on, like a century or two ago. Yeah. So it, it, um, so basically Africans or black people came because of the Europeans. Like they weren't really around these islands, um, with the indigenous people pre-colonization, basically. That's, that's 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 the understanding okay. as a researcher and student I subscribe to. Okay. Okay. Uh, cool. In terms of what I've been able to read and see, now uh, there's the the theory uh, in terms of the presence of people of African ancestry much earlier in mm -hmm. the continent. Some people, you know, there's there's this archaeological research that is going on in terms of you know human remains found, I think, in Brazil or something in South America mm -hmm. that seem to indicate that these oldest uh, human remains happen to fit the profile of, uh, I don't know if it's genetic or anatomic, of uh, people of Black African ancestry, sort of indicating that there seems to have been uh, a Black African presence very, 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 very early on. Yeah. Mm -hmm. In the case of Dominicans and the Caribbean in general, I, I am not aware of uh, any solid and the ample evidence, uh, concrete, visible, mm -hmm. tangible, uh, about the presence of people of black ancestry, um, at the time of the European uh, arrival or at the time of the big migration of South American indigenous peoples to the Caribbean. If somebody has the evidence, uh, I welcome it. Yeah. I will talk about it, but personally, because of being, you know, a black Dominican and uh, yeah. because of the way I was trained, I have focused on the type of um, uh, evidence um, and remains and documentation yeah. that is actually available for us to still nowadays to read and analyze, which has to do 
with Africans that were that either came from uh, Iberia, Spain and Portugal, you know, on their own, a few, mm-hmm. or uh, those who were brought uh, forcefully as enslaved people mm. after the uh, arrival of the Europeans. I consider those to be our immediate ancestors. Mm. So I am. I usually don't engage in a debate on whether there were people of Black African ancestry before yeah. these Blacks arrived in the 16th century in the Caribbean. Yeah. Uh, fine with me. Um, if people want to research that, again, fine with me. I am not concerned whether my Black African ancestors are from 5,000 years ago, 25,000 years ago. I, it, it, it suffices for me to know that I'm a descendant of Africans, in part, yeah. Uh, obviously, yeah, and that I have that evidence that usually is not studied, which is resting in Spanish and Dominican archives, still to be researched, because, you know, the elites that have controlled the culture in our countries have uh, almost never been interested in um, um, highlighting or, or, or yeah. recovering the heritage of this majority because this is in the Dominican case, as well as in other Caribbean countries, but especially in the Dominican Republic, the ironic thing is that blacks, or that is to say people of black African ancestry, became the majority, I would tell you, um, let's see, 30 years after Columbus arrived. Oh, wow. Yeah. Wow. And that's, it has that's remained crazy. like that ever since. Yeah. So yeah. No matter whether these blacks then mix with indigenous or white, and you have the yeah. entire you know, pig- pigmentation range that we usually, you know, show yeah. as, as people in the Dominican Republic. But Dominicans are the oldest black ethnicity or people in the Americas. Wow. That you can trace on, on record. Again, if yeah. somebody tells me that there's a skull in Brazil from 30,000 years ago that shows uh, yeah, a, a black yeah, ancestry yeah. there, fine with me. I have no problem with that. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, as they say, uh, uh, more merit to it, whatever. You know, my issue is that I want to vindicate the fact that Dominicans have behind ourselves, you know, 500 years of continuous, continued black presence and not only continued black presence, a majority of mixed race or black mixed race people. And that's usually not, not, not acknowledged. It's, it's totally not again. acknowledged. It's yeah. crazy. It, yeah. You know, this is reminding me of a story. I was working at a trade show once and these Dominican women a- approached me and I was like, Oh my God, you know, I'm first generation Dominican. My mom's Dominican and they look shocked. They were like, Oh my God. Like as if they were like appalled that I was black Dominican. I was like, dude, you live in Dominican Republic. Like you see black every day. <laughs> like, why are you so shocked that I'm Dominican? Yeah. You know, I was like, I was like, wait a minute. Do you live there? Like, how do you not see, like you have eyes. You could see the yeah. people are yeah. black around you. Like, why are you so shocked and surprised? It really, it really threw me off. It was so crazy. And, and you know, there's one element there in terms of this black presence that uh, is, uh, I think it's useful to also clarify mm-hmm. and uh, keep in mind, which is this Dominican blackness is a complex blackness, and thank God it is. You know, mm-hmm. every time the scenario has to be or is considered to be homogeneous, in, in my case, I always get a little bit nervous because homogeneity tends to generate one model that then is tried to be imposed upon everybody else. So... Every time I hear homogeneity, it it worries me that it might mean 
a danger for heterogeneity and diverse and diversity, yeah. you know. Yeah. But anyway, yeah. anyway, going back to the thing, Dominican blackness is a diverse blackness. Yes. It has at least four distinguishable components. Okay. You have Dominicans who are the descendants mm -hmm. uh, of the Africans from the 16th century. Mm -hmm. By the way, when Columbus arrived in his first trip, nowadays, we know that there was already one confirmed black person there. Mm. Okay. A very young guy that was a personal servant of Columbus, like an employee of his. Yeah. Um, whose, whose name was Juan Prieto, Juan Moreno. And uh, he came with Columbus went back to Spain with Columbus and then came back to the Central Americas to do colonization as any other colonizer. And uh, still 20 years later, he was writing and giving testimonies of the time when he came with the admiral in his first voyage and the second voyage. Mm. Okay. So black people from day, from day one of, of European colonization, but going back to the Dominican blackness, so you have those that are the descendants of the early free and enslaved Africans that arrived in Santo Domingo or La Española. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's one, that's one source. Mm -hmm. uh -huh. Then you have the guys that, uh, came or have been coming back in and out from what we, what is called the Republic of Haiti today, mm -hmm. which formed after the mixing <clears throat> that generated uh, Dominican society half a century later, okay? Uh, then you have the descendants of African-American freedmen that were sent to the DR late in the 19th century as a place where they might find it interesting to live. Mm -hmm. um, uh, Frederick Douglass was involved in those negotiations. I'm not that familiarized mm -hmm. with the details, but it's it's absolutely clear, and there's books written about it already, uh, Dennis Hidalgo, for instance, just from the top of the head, is an author that I, I remember wrote on this. Uh, we have uh, um, a young Dominican-American uh, scholar named uh, uh, Ryan, uh, uh, Ryan Hamilton that is teaching in uh, um, La Guardia Community College, mm -hmm. whose family is actually from that area, Samana, and he knows a lot about right. that experience, has written about it. Mm -hmm. He's an anthropologist, by the way. Uh, uh, one of the few young Dominican scholars that we have gotten into the university system. That's another story, how hard it has been for Dominican Americans, as well as other less empowered groups, yeah. you know, to get into the professoriate, okay, right, where you yeah. can teach yeah. the mm -hmm. stuff. Anyway, so then you have, lastly, the immigration in Santo Domingo, in the Dominican Republic, from of black people from the Eastern Caribbean islands. The so-called cocolos, mm -hmm. people that came from uh, uh, Trinidad, Guadalupe, Martinica, Barbados, St. Kitts, uh, uh, Nives, uh, St. John's, St. Croix, all those islands. Mm -hmm. So nowadays, nowadays, Dominican blackness is uh, multiple rich uh, black population mm -hmm. that is formed by people that have Last names of Spanish ancestry, mm -hmm. de la Cruz, de la Rosa, eh, Puello, Monegro, okay? Mm -hmm. French, Haitian ancestry, Batista, eh, there's, there's tons of them. They, yeah. they don't come uh, right away to my mind, but there's tons of names, surnames that nowadays we accept as typically Dominican, yeah. which originally are of Haitian origin, okay? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Then you have the guys that have 
Anglo names or French surnames, the Cocolo guys, like many baseball players coming from the east of the Dominican Republic that have become famous in U.S. major leagues of baseball, people hear these Dominican guys with Anglo surnames and they go like, wait, wait a minute. Why is this guy <laughs> yeah. called George Bell or Ricardo Carti? Yeah, and yeah. so on and so on. Well, because they are the grandsons and great-grandsons of guys that came from Nevis and Kid, Guadalupe, Trinidad, Tobago, and so on and so forth. Yeah. And then you have the descendants of uh, uh, U.S. freedmen from Samana, mm -hmm. like like Ryan, uh, Ryan Hamilton himself, you know, that Hamilton is an, a surname from early American freedmen that went from the U.S. to settle in the Dominican Republic and stayed there. Yes. And yeah. there's communities who are still there in Samana, northeastern Dominican Republic, yes. that still speak some English. And apparently, uh, from what I've heard from linguists, It's an English that is very peculiar because it comes straight from the 19th century black freedmen that went wow. to the DR. Wow, so, that's so interesting. Dominicans have a plethora of blackness. Okay, yes. in yeah, case, that's so cool. In my case, I've been, you know, yeah, I have been mostly concerned about vindicating the older ones because uh. Uh, uh, you see, one of the debates is, uh, and, and this is, as you know, a very politically charged thing. Yeah, one of the debates by some people in DR and outside is that blackness is foreign to Dominican identity. Mm. It's something strange that, that, that came in to, to modify and alter right. Dominican uh, ethnicity and uh, true identity. Well, I have news for them. Blacks have been in Dominican society since day one. Yes, And 30 absolutely. years after Columbus, they became the majority. Yeah. So all those Dominicans that are dark-skinned and have Spanish-sounding names, they are the descendants of these early African. We're not talking Cocolos. We're not talking Haitians. We're not talking American freedmen. African settlers. Yeah, okay. yeah. yeah. That's Do you so know cool. um, if... Um, The slaves that came um, from Africa, was they, did they come from a certain area? Like most of them, were they from Ghana? Do you know if there was like a portion? I know there's, I read somewhere like Ethiopia also, there was an influence in Dominican Republic. Do you know like where some of the slaves were brought from? Yes, my, my sense, and still it's, it's an item that uh, I have not been able to study that closely. With with my absent-mindedness, I have to be very careful in terms of focusing on things, otherwise I lose track. <laughs> yeah. But it has been, Us too. It has been studied. Um, it, it has been mostly Western Africa. Western. And apparently there were two waves, so to speak. The very, very early ones, 16th century, early 16th century, were from the Guinea and Gulf of Guinea area, Ghana, uh, Guinea, and that area, Sierra Leone, and so on. Mm -hmm. Then, apparently, as uh, time went by, 17th century and 18th century, uh, most of them were coming from further south in Africa, from the Angola area. This is this is my understanding. In in terms of people from Ethiopia, I wouldn't be surprised there were a number. But to tell you the truth, in so far as I have read, there weren't that many. Mm -hmm. uh, but uh, that doesn't preclude the, that there were people from there because of the way I understand the, this massive trafficking of slaves yeah. took place. They were grabbing People. slaves from whatever they could catch them in, in Africa. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, why are people so obsessed with 
in DR, because when you go to Dominican Republic, when I go, all they want to show you is take you to, you know, obviously Cristobal Colon, you know, the big lighthouse and uh, Duarte. All I heard growing up was how amazing <laughs> those three guys were. One of them is Juan Pablo Duarte. And why is it that they are so obsessed with these three guys? Yeah, I think I think it has to do a lot with um, um, the efforts by uh, a Dominican national elite uh, to conform a national consensus in terms of cultural collective identity around something. Mm. And around something that, because of tensions with Haiti, something that would define itself as either very different or totally opposite to what Haitian identity was taken to, to be or defined. The, uh, Haiti looked as, as a place that is essentially African and black and associated with uh, some notions, uh, very, let's say, archaic cultural notions of uh, African peoples uh, as people from from the forest with very simple, basic ways of life, with uh, very little uh, sophistication in their culture versus um, uh, the adherence to uh, a Spanish culture that was obviously a literate culture and with all this uh, history behind it in terms of, uh, you know, arch architectural and uh, cultural legacy. But what, what bottom line is that what I think we see there is uh, an effort of the Dominican elites to try to uh, incite or, or uh, encourage Dominicans to feel very different from Haitians and um, uh, therefore more willing to uh, gel or unite around a certain identity that would uh, um, make them more readily willing to separate themselves from Haiti yeah. and confront Haiti when if 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 the time came to to do that. Yeah. So um, I besides the fact that and 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 it's a very complex thing. This issue that you're just asking is one of the most complex cultural phenomena mm -hmm. phenomena I, I'm I'm aware of, and uh, it's far from being really studied and analyzed. As it's it's just one item within this larger scenario of uh, lack of attention uh, and dedication to rigorous modern analysis of Dominican culture. Mm -hmm. So besides all these contradictions, you know, altogether Dominican culture remains a very little studied culture, especially yeah, if yeah. you look at it from an ethnographic and anthropological point of view. Mm -hmm. uh, I keep telling all my friends and, uh, you know, I risk, I risk being told I'm crazy until, you know, they, they show me that we very much still need 2021. We still don't have a good set of anthropological studies of all this, uh, di cultural diversity that characterizes Dominicans. And, mm -hmm. and, and I think we are one of the most culturally and racially mixed peoples in the world. Mm -hmm. And uh, I tell my friends, listen, if if a good team of five or ten anthropologists decide to research and study Dominican culture for for let's say just ten years, yeah, I think I think out of that is going to come so much knowledge, yeah, so much understanding of what racial and ethnic um, 
complexities are in humanity that is going to be like a like a like a reference for anybody else that wants to study human diversity in the world. Yeah. But we have not developed the institutional muscle and the cultural uh, intellectual interest in the elites to fund to give them money and support this kind of research. Yeah. And in the United States, you know, even when you hear so many people talk about Dominicans and race, which is a topic that is uh, in every single classroom in where 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 they teach Dominican studies or Black studies in the United States, mm-hmm. uh, then you'll notice that very few researchers decide to take the anthropological approach, the ethnographic approach of going to the Dominican Republic, spending three good three good or five good years living with Dominicans in all those Dominican Black communities throughout the entire island, mm-hmm. and watching what goes on, how people relate to each other, how they talk to each other, how how they express their feelings in terms of who they are. And all we have is this very blanket brush, the notion that Dominicans are racists, that Dominicans uh, don't want to admit their blackness, and that uh, practically, you know, if you're black and you arrive in the Dominican Republic, once you land and get out of the airport, you're going to experience the worst experience in your life you know you're going to be sequestered yeah. or yeah. abused or discriminated and so on, which is obviously an exaggeration so we we yeah. one and i keep telling my younger friends in this regard you want to study dominican culture and dominican blackness go and do anthropological studies don't stay with a hearsay in the united states don't stay with two guys that you know from the dominican community in whatever town in the new york in in in, in the united states go and stay in as anthropologists actually do when yeah, they want to yeah. understand the people that's exactly. that's how, that's the contribution of anthropology you know i admire anthropology though i'm a historian i yeah. if, if i if i was to be given a second chance maybe i would have become an anthropologist rather than just a historian you know because anthropology has all these tools analytical tools to 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 observe and record and then analyze culture and yeah. behavior and symbols and mentalities, all this stuff uh, that is absolutely key to understand who Dominicans are and how they relate to this call or this thing that we all things that we call race. You know, yeah. social psychologists so, yeah. have a lot to say about the matter, but we don't have those studies. We need them. We need people to go and do yeah. the work rather than spend the entire life, you know, repeating the same notions. Yeah, I just did a yeah, just to go back a little bit from what you were saying before. Um, it just w- what happened that divided what we know as Dominican Republic and Haiti today because it was one place. It is one island. So I, it just it's just crazy and fascinated me how they're so different now. Like what can can. Do you know what happened? Um, Absolutely, uh, it's uh, it's a fascinating story, um, and at the same time, it's pretty much engulfed in the whole politics of the uh, tensions between uh, the Dominican Republic and Haiti. So it's 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 kind of impossible, okay, to talk about this thing without falling into a controversy. Hmm, okay. uh, I just say, listen, controversy is part of learning and researching. <laughs> yeah. So far as we keep the controversy within civilized limits, let's right. have the controversy. What is the problem? Right. You know, if we are all searching for finding the truth at the end, let's just be willing to pay the price. It's tough. It's difficult. 
you know, we are not always going to be in agreement, but we can, we, we are capable. We have the tools collectively to construct a consensus, a new consensus yeah. about who we are, both peoples. So basically what happens is that you had an island um, initially, as I was saying, pre-Columbus time, you know, occupied by uh, one or two or three indigenous peoples with one dominant one apparently uh, called the Tainos, you know. Then came the Europeans, in this case the Spaniards, took over the entire place, created a colony, a Spanish colony. Mm -hmm. uh, a century went by, and um, one interesting thing happened in that colony that was not happening in other places. Mm -hmm. uh, for a number of reasons, the Spanish government kind of, kind of, not totally, abandoned the presence and the control in La Española, Santo Domingo, because the empire discovered other places like Mexico, Peru, Bolivia, which were much richer in terms of precious metals, which is which was what they were after. You know, mm -hmm. this this whole thing was pretty much an economic enterprise. It was a little bit of a religious enterprise, you know, uh, Christianizing and so on. But bottom line, like today, you know, it was basically economics, yeah. looking for wealth. And uh, Spain kind of left uh, uh, La Española, Santo Domingo, somewhat abandoned. And as a result, um, actually, the island was took off in a way from the routes of trade that the Spaniards had established between Spain and uh, the Americas. Mm. And as a result, um, less products arrived from Spain into Santo Domingo. Um, and uh, the immediate result of that was scarcity. You know, colonies are very dependent upon the society of origin because these are societies that they try to build from scratch. Yeah. So especially if it's a foreign people, the, colon the Spanish colonists and their, their descendants in, in La Española, this entire colony, again, we are still at the stage of one island, one colony, okay? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Everybody speaks Spanish, more or less, okay. Uh, the guys that lived in the western part of, part of the island, which are separated by an important set of ranges of mountains from the east, mm -hmm. um, they began to feel unattended and uh, left out of decision-making and especially left out of the possibility of sending out their exports, whatever they were producing, yeah. sugar, basically, mm -hmm. uh, cow hides, uh, uh, to Europe and a few, a couple more of products. Mm -hmm. That isolation led them quickly, because it happened relatively early in the century, to begin doing uh, illegal trading or uh, what's the word in English? Um, uh, well, let's call it illegal trading for the time, unauthorized uh, contraband, okay? Ah, uh, yeah. With, with other European powers that were less powerful than Spain at the time, mm -hmm. did not have that presence in the Americas. Sp Spain and Portugal were the, the, the ones, you know, controlling most of the territory, especially yeah. in that area. Yeah. So these guys, these these Spanish settlers, early Dominicans, I call them, okay, mm -hmm. um, began to resort to trading, doing their export through um, uh, exchanges and bartering with Dutch people, Dutch uh, merchants, British merchants, Portuguese merchants, and especially French merchants. Mm -hmm. Gradually, a sense of autonomy 
developed. They were doing that, breaking and violating one of the main laws of the Spanish Empire or any empire, which was monopoly. It was like a sin for somebody in a colony to do trade with somebody who was not from Spain. Oh, it I was, see. It was a total disobedience uh, um, regarding what the king in Spain was constantly ordering and the Spanish laws. Yeah. As a result, I'm making a long story short, the Spanish crown decided to punish these guys in La Española that were blatantly doing trading with actually t peoples that were enemies of Spain in Europe, like oh, the see. Dutch yeah. and the French. Mm. This not, not only they were breaking the law, they were doing trading with Spain's enemies. Yes, Imagine yeah. that at that time. Anyway, yeah, yeah. so the Spanish crown decided to forcefully depopulate that area, forcefully remove them. Wow. You're doing that trading with our enemies. We're going to take you out from where you are. We're going to bring you to the east side of the island in case you want to obey. If you don't obey, we're going to kill you or mm -hmm. hang you. Okay. Mm -hmm. And a struggle developed, and at the end, the Spanish military was increased in Santo Domingo, and they were able to remove most of the population from the west to the east. There's evidence that some groups, especially blacks, uh, enslaved blacks, uh, remained aloof. You know, they couldn't get them and stayed on the west of the part, but for the most part, they emptied the west wow. and took these people to the east. Okay, wow. since the French and the others were already aware of this territory, mm -hmm. were used to trade with the people in that territory, what happened? The French, little by little, began to take, um, to develop a permanent presence, and gradually, throughout the next two centuries, France ended up taking a hold of Western La Española. So what was initially one colony, De developed into two colonies, two different colonies controlled by two different powers. Wow. And then what happened was that uh, the eastern part where the ancient Spanish colonists stayed speaking Spanish with an Afro-Spanish indigenous culture became the Dominican people and those that um, began to settle on the western part of the island under French control, most of them, not only French settlers, white people, yeah. but most of them, African slaves brought in en masse in huge numbers, okay? Those became the people of Haiti. That mm. is the simplest, more schematic description I could give you as to how two different peoples developed in uh, an island. In an and island, the, yeah. The tensions have to do with the fact that Haiti was going to send... By the way, the, the, Haiti, the Haitians um, took the name of... Uh, the, the, the name Haiti actually comes from the early Tainos. They, mm. they, they, they grasped that, that name as, as, as a way of, you know, marking their presence and their connection to the past in Haiti um, under French control. Uh, so, um, uh, that's, that's in a nutshell, uh, what happened. Wow. And obviously, because for as long as the two places were colonies, whenever France got into a new war with Spain or vice versa, those wars reflected intentions 
between the two colonies as well. Oh, you know? yeah. Well, yeah. So the history so, was one mix of there was there was collaboration when there was no war, believe me or not. Yeah. And there was war when there was war. So they, they, the whole history during colonial times with that was that al- al- alternation between conflict and co- collaboration um, pretty much induced by the big tensions and wars that these foreign powers were having at a, at a, at a hemispheric level in Europe so, and the Americas. So what I'm hearing from you, which is so fascinating, is that this tension between Dominican Republic and Haiti is really just French and Spaniard tension. It's not even the island's tension. It's just yeah. tension of these colonizers that has... And separating east from west. Yeah, and like separating the well, island. Geographically. And like, and like well, maintain that's that's just what I'm hearing from this that's, from the, from that's, from what you just said. The way I would put it, the way I would put it is that that is the historical background of it. Yeah, uh, I think I would sustain, you know, in general, that what happened also was that um, because of, of the different origins of each society, yeah, and because of that legacy, definitely that century long legacy of let's say, imperial wars and competition. Yeah. yeah. Uh, an identity began to develop, a, a Creole identity, uh, uh, an original local identity began to develop on each side. Mm-hmm. And then at some point, there was also a very important juncture uh, that I think explains the, the tensions. Uh, at some point, late 18th century, 1790s, again, summarizing and simplifying mm-hmm. a lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Saint-Domingue, uh, the, the French took the same name that the Spaniards had given to the eastern area, Santo Domingo, translated into French and called the western side Saint-Domingue. Saint-Domingue oh, wow. is the same as Santo Domingo, but in mm-hmm. French, okay? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, hey, today's Haiti. Um, mm, the, the black people, especially the enslaved black people in Haiti, at some point, took advantage, decided to take advantage, exploded when the French Revolution took place in France, uh, when this message arrived at the island, at the colony, that uh, all men were born equal. You yeah. know, uh, this yeah. this uh, egalité, fraternité notion of the French Revolution. Again, I'm simplifying, but what happened was that uh, a movement uh, began amongst the slaves in, in Haiti. Uh, first, to eliminate slavery. Yeah. First place in the Western world where slavery was abolished. Okay. It was abolished violently. It was an uprising, a very bloody one. Mm-hmm. I sometimes hear people saying, oh man, you know, the those those Haitians back then were so violent. And I'm saying, <laughs> do you think do you think the white co- French French colonists were gonna Allow yeah. um, uh, freedom through a negotiation. Yeah, exactly. Or a, a pleasant, you know, very polite kind of meeting at a table. Yeah. Uh, well, yeah. a revolution took place. Yeah. Then, then, and 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 there's more elements to this. Apparently, the new uh, French, the new Haitian uh, authorities and people and military. Again, many of them former slaves. Okay, let's not forget that. Mm-hmm. That is people that had experienced generations of the most intensive 
exploitation or type of slavery that the Caribbean had ever experienced. That mm. means Saint-Domingue became the richest colony of France. Oh, wow. And the way they accumulated that wealth was through the intensity that they devised in terms of the um, plantation slavery that they were able to construct. It was very intense. The life of slaves was very short once they arrived. The exploitation was tremendous. So I am not that surprised without having read enough about the Haitian Revolution. I am not that surprised that when the slaves uh, um, uh, revolted, you know, it was in a way as to make sure that the people that were keeping them in those conditions had no more word to say ever. Okay, yeah, right. I'm not yeah, surprised. Absolutely. But yeah. uh, so when when Haiti eliminated uh, slavery, Santo Domingo La Española was still a Spanish colony, mm. and there was a concern amongst apparently some of the new uh, nationalist, independent, pro Haitians, that black Haitians, that France could use or other European powers could use Santo Domingo as a base to come in and reinvade, send uh, reinvade Haiti and impose slavery again. That element played a role in Haitians invading or occupying what was later called the Dominican Republic. Mm, and it has become historically the source of a lot of tensions, a lot of disagreement, a lot of prejudice as well, yes. and also a lot of hate between many Dominicans and many Haitians or some Dominicans and some Haitians. So, my friend, the, the background is double. You yeah. have the imperial competition first, but then the development of these two identities, local ones, mm -hmm. that were indirectly still influenced by uh, imperialism and then uh, the elites in every in each side trying to control the thing by promoting a sense of self-identity within their society mm -hmm. so that it would become a way to differentiate from the other next door you know yeah yeah wow can you so talk great. a little bit about i mean and obviously this topic with dominican republic and haiti is so multifaceted and mm -hmm. obviously thank you for yeah. giving we us, would need we yeah. would need 10 sessions like yes, this yes yeah. exactly going over it oh okay? my gosh um can you talk a little bit and we don't want to keep you um about the invasion the united states invasion that they invaded uh, Dominican Republic twice and the migration to the United yeah, States from all these Dominicans. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's another one of those topics. That <laughs> when, when, when we finally get a regular offering of Dominican American Dominican courses in our universities has these to be the there topics. because uh, I think it has a lot to do with, uh, it has long-term implications. When, 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 when you, when you, when you first learned that, Dominicans and U.S. and the U.S. had this century-long relationship, you know, all of a sudden you say, like, wait a minute, didn't Dominicans just came through in the 70s, last, right. last century? No, 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 no. There has been a relationship since early on in the 20th century mm. with American sugar companies occupying vast territories in the Dominican Republic, especially mm. in the East, you know, and uh, then the invasion of uh, uh, 1916 to 1924 where it was a military occupation, eight years. And, mm. uh, you know, the American-U.S. theory was that it was due to strategic reasons and needs 
the Dominican government had been in debt with the European governments. The European governments were in the 19th century putting a lot of pressure onto the Dominican governments. The American uh, governments were concerned that uh, Europeans would use that to further um, uh, push or develop their presence in the Americas, which is what the doctrine, Monroe Doctrine was absolutely against, you know, American, America for the America, the Americas for the Americans, all right? Mm -hmm. Meaning U.S., you mm -hmm. know, uh, nobody else. Uh, forget, uh, European imperialism is over. Now it's us, yeah. U.S., in the Americas, you know? So uh, the debt and uh, allegedly the fact that some Dominican elites were friendly with the Europeans, uh, then came World War One. You know, and again, this concern that Dominicans would ally with European uh, enemies, um, but also that Dominicans had a very uh, unstable kind of political society, uh, a lot of conflict, a lot of caudillos taking over power and so on, but especially the debt. But then you see that immediately uh, or overlapping with the uh, invasion, you have the American Sugar Corporation's presence there uh, very massively. And you wonder... Was there actually a relationship between the military presence and the controlling of a land where you that you want to use mm. because of its abundance, its fertility, mm. and the poverty of its people mm. to produce a commodity that you now want? You know, uh, you, you consider fundamental. You know, one story that still has to be researched and told was the story of American uh, U.S. sugar producing the Dominican Republic because. Um, it has been somewhat studied in terms of Puerto Rico and the Caribbean and Cuba, but um, it's known that Dominican Dominican sugar was arriving in New York City in the early nineteen in the, in the early twentieth century, mm -hmm. and um, I would I would easily donate three hundred dollars <laughs> to any researcher. I mean, just as a part of a, a larger pool, obviously, three hundred dollars right. is nothing. Yeah. But <laughs> I, I, I mean, I, I would be willing to really help a researcher that decides to track how Dominican sugar was arriving in New York City. Yeah, mm. that's 1910s, crazy. 1920s. Uh, at the same time that some Dominicans were already migrating to yes. New York, it's it's already yeah. established. But you know, every time I used to see in Brooklyn that Domino Sugar big sign yes. somewhere in Brooklyn. Yeah. I always wondered, damn it, you know, how many pounds of Dominican sugar ended up in the at the table of many New Yorkers yeah. without knowing that it was coming from places like San Pedro de Macorís, you know, um, uh, uh, Quisqueya, Consuelo, uh, La Romana in the DR. Nowadays, we have a legacy of that in the form of a U.S.-based sort of Cuban family-owned um, huge sugar corporation called Central Romana um, that owns uh, a big factory that uh, still exports uh, thousands and thousands of tons of sugar to the U.S. and I suppose the rest of the world. So there's, la there's like la that little legacy from early 20th century in there. Um, but uh, that, that has been the relationship. And then the, the U.S. authorities, before they left, they made sure they settled, they, they, they left certain order. Uh, and uh, it's understood that um, that circumstance favored the fact that a Dominican 
army officer that they trained as part of the Dominican, let's say, National Guard at the time, before they left, uh, who had worked with them uh, during the years of the occupation. He, he then was able, through his military power and influence, to become uh, a dictator in the Dominican Republic that is known as Rafael Trujillo yes. you know, uh, for 30 years. So you had the, that relationship, and then the U.S. tolerated him all over throughout the entire yeah. period because of strategic reasons. You know, uh, yeah, I was a dictator, a bloody one, but he was a friend of the Dominic of the um, U.S. Um, elites and government, or let's say government. Okay. Therefore, it was okay. He was killing other Dominicans, crushing human rights all over the place, but he was the U.S. ally. Wow, and that was uh, so that was enough to sustain him there. Um, even if publicly, maybe the authorities in the U.S. would critique or criticize and complain, oh, he's a dictator, but behind the scenes, they were always hand in hand with him. Mm -hmm. And then what happened was that once um, the uh, Cuban Revolution erupted in, in, in Cuba as part of this Cold War between the U.S. The US and, the, and the Soviet Union, the um, uh, Trujillo was deposed and there was a crisis and um, a new group of Dominicans that I would describe as liberals mixed with left-wing people, some of which were uh, admirers of the Cuban Revolution because of what it, everything it met as a promise, yeah. the U.S. decided that these people were dangerous and that the U.S. could not afford, within the context of the Cold War, to have another Cuba, that is to say, not 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 allowing for the same thing as Cuba happening in the uh -huh. Dominican Republic in terms of a left-wing group taking over yeah. and becoming the ally of the Soviet Union. And as a result, you had the sending of uh, how many? 45,000 American Marines um, to the DR during mm -hmm. a few months until, again, they repressed and jailed or killed whoever was wow. leading that movement wow. or exiled them. Yeah. And then the Americans, the, the U.S. were able to leave and leave in place again uh, a group, a Dominican group in control that was uh, uh, going along the ideological lines of uh, what the U.S. government was at the time. It was a time of the, of the Vietnam War. Mm -hmm. It was a time of the Cold War. Yeah. So that's how we ended up um, having our second intervention, mm -hmm. which then... Uh, was subsequently followed by, and, and, and there are studies about this, how the U.S. decided to change immigration laws here and open the door for Dominicans to migrate to the United States massively, including many people that had participated in this uh, liberal-slash-left-wing movement that ended up in uh, the United States, especially in New York, as a way to funnel or empty or, or, or clean, if you want, yeah. the Dominican environment of too many leftists, you know? Wow. Uh, I, witnessed, <laughs> I witnessed that process. I was born in New York City, was sent to the R at the end of the Dominican Trujillo regime. And then I witnessed the U.S. invading my hometown with the airplanes and the troops wow. that I yeah. used to watch on TV invading Vietnam. And having this dilemma in my head, oh, my God, these are the guys from the country that I was born at, where my mother lives. And now here they are patrolling 
the streets in front of my house wow, um, with their M14s and their Jeeps all over the place. Who would have thought wow. a small-ass country like Dominican Republic was so freaking important? Yeah. Like- <laughs> and I always wondered about that migration because it was like, okay, you invaded Dominican Republic, and then all of a sudden, yeah. okay, yeah, you can come to the States. Yeah. You know, Dominican Republic, all of a sudden in the 70s, everyone can come. And yeah. it's like, how would... How and it's so do- interesting I mean- because, like, saying that they like purposely or targeted left wing more progressive liberal people to come here. I just think that's like wow. so fascinating to me. I think I think that's what happened in part. There was there was an uglier yes, uh, of much more terrible part of the picture mm. or the movie if you want, mm-hmm. which is all the left wing people once the civil war stopped and the U there was a civil war by the way and that's why the United States invaded. But with with their overwhelming military force, they forced a negotiation and basically the left wing guys had to surrender. It was impossible to fight the United States. Right. Yeah, okay. of course. Uh, yeah. So uh, one of the things that happened was that immediately after the civil war, the right wing Dominicans that took over took it upon themselves. They took care of the very, very job of killing hundreds of the guys that had fought in the civil war against the United States. Mm. I mean, there were literally no, 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 no incarceration, no, no trial, just, you know, a, a, a bullet in the head and that's it. You know, oh. or they would disappear you, you know, many, a, a lot of what happened later in South America, mm-hmm. in those uh, dictatorships that came in the seventies and eighties, it already happened in 65 in DR. Wow. If you ask Dominicans, many families would tell you about how many relatives they, they, they lost wow. in this very repressive. It was called, if I remember, I was a kid at the time. I have read uh, some, some, uh, some about it. Um, it was called Operacion Limpieza. Mm. Clean, cleaning operation or operation cleaning. Yeah. And what it meant was clean the environment of these Dangerous, treacherous, um, non-believer, left-wing people. You wow. know, so the piece—it's like a two-pronged piece. They did, and and everything was supported by the U.S. government, insofar as I know. Uh, so they did the worst work in the art, but then they op- they also did this more softer kind of work in opening the door for many of those guys to come to the U.S. So what I what I'm saying is not all left wingers ended up coming to New York. Mm-hmm. Many of them are in Dominican cemeteries ever since, or yeah. they have been disappeared and never found. Yeah, and um, everything was under the tutelage, you know, of the U.S. governments uh, of the time. So mm-hmm. that's how our recent Dominican history connects so much. Yeah. And by the uh, way, before we close, um, yeah. I also wanted to mention now some people are beginning to study. Something that is very interesting. Mm. During those eight years that the U.S. controlled directly, invaded the Dominican Republic with the, the, the U.S. Marines there, you know, that was the time of Jim Crow in the United States. Yeah. Mm. So these, these uh, U.S. military that were sent to the DR were part of that world. 
And now some people are beginning to study how the presence and the control of military authorities from the U.S. that came with uh, that mentality mm-hmm. impacted in Dominican society mm. because they were not neutral in that regard. Actually, no. you know, they found the people that was pretty much mixed. Mm-hmm. And uh, I am not familiar with the studies in detail, but uh, the people, researchers are beginning to look at how these white uh, army of U.S. troopers uh, had an inf- especially the high high ranking officials mm-hmm. who who had the authority of governors in the in the entire country. You know yeah. how they how they interacted with uh, richer, whiter Dominican elites mm. in terms of promoting whiteness and anti blackness mm-hmm. in Dominican public culture. Yeah. Um, and then some some people are wondering, uh, is it possible? that uh, some of the behaviors and attitudes that we find in Dominican society and Dominican elites today mm-hmm. in terms of prejudice, lack of sensitivity, lack of respect, lack of inclusion of uh, people of darker skin or respect for Afro-Dominican culture mm-hmm. yeah. might stem from this propaganda and uh, um, cultural relationship with uh, these um, white America, uh, white white U.S. Uh, Jim Crow time troops that mm-hmm. were stationed in the Dominican Republic. Wow, uh, so it's a very fascinating topic yeah. because you know it could end up. You know, it, it it would be very ironic that something that some people in the United States uh, attribute to uh Dominicans as a genetical kind of inheritance mm-hmm. you guys are racist by nature you are born with this hate and and the lack of uh, self acceptance in regards to your own blackness mm-hmm. uh could that be could we could we discover at the end that that in part comes from an education system established by Trujillo and reproduced by most subsequent governments in the Dominican Republic Mm -hmm. that was influenced by views of white supremacy actually brought into the Dominican Republic fresh from the U.S. by these military invaders in the 1910s and 1920s. It sounds like a real interesting argument, and I hope people actually keep researching it. Because, again, something that some people in the U.S. attribute to Dominicans as a natural trait that we have inherited might end up then turning out to be uh, a trait, if you want, that was planted right. by yeah, the absolutely. U.S. Uh, government a uh, century and a half wow. ago. Wow, yeah. That, that, that would answer a lot of questions. <laughs> yeah. That makes perfect sense wow. to me. Wow. Wow. Well. So we don't want to, we, we're, we're going to start wrapping up here, um, uh-huh. but we do want to just maybe really quickly talk to us about like your writings and, and your book. Cause you have a book out, right? Um, there's, there's two, um, I sometimes uh, hesitate about calling them books because okay. they're very brief. Okay. And uh, they are books physically. Yes. Um, and actually I have written much more that is uh, actually there, there's a, there's a website in a, in this place called the Academia EDU where I have been trying to dump most of my work. So whoever is interested, 
Anthony Stevens Acevedo Academia.edu. They will find it there. Much of what I've written. Um, I, for many years, I wrote and did research, never finished anything specific. And right now it's all fragmented. I have to sit down now that I'm retired and try to reconstruct it. Okay. But it's useful stuff, by the way. Mm-hmm. Yes. The result of very hard uh, research. Um, anyway, there's this a little, this book or pamphlet about, uh, opusculo, we say in Spanish, um, <laughs> about Juan Rodriguez, the first person of non-Native American ancestry that uh, shows on uh, a historical record as residing in New York City. This mm-hmm. is something we uh, we um, disseminated or re- relaunched, if you want, as a research uh, about uh, 15 years ago at the CUNY Dominican Studies Institute because um, a Dutch researcher had discovered Juan Rodriguez while studying the documents about the early Dutch presence in New York, you know, the early Dutch settlers. And it just happens that the Dutch, as I was telling you half an hour ago, had been involved long before New York existed as a city, long before. Just remember that Santo Domingo in the 1520s already had a church, a hospital, a tribunal, a treasury house, a port, and so on and so on and so forth. So Santo Domingo is roughly one and a quarter century older than New York City as a town, you know, mm. basically, okay? Um, so the Dutch were doing uh, illegal contraband uh, trading with the guys in the western side of Santo Domingo, and they were used to travel there. They picked up this uh, this so-called Santo Domingo guy uh, who was a black man as a sailor, and they brought them, they brought him on their ship while they were exploring the northeastern coast of the United States, the Virginia, the Hudson area. And they ended up arriving at the Hudson uh, estuary uh, in 1613. Um, They spent a few weeks here. Uh, At some point, the Dutch captain decided, hey, we're returning to Amsterdam, uh, and then we're going to come back because we're interested in the potential of this for fur trading with these indigenous guys here in this uh, Hudson area. And Juan Rodriguez said, uh, I'm not going to Holland. Mm-hmm. And uh, why Why was being a black man, why was he able to do that? Because he was a free black man. And for some reason, the Dutch sailors and captains decided to respect that, you know, mm-hmm. uh, which is not absolutely unusual. People that, black people that could show through a document that they had been given freedom were acknowledged as free people. Okay. They were no yeah. longer exactly slaves. So the captain had to the, the captain had to accept. And he left Juan, Rod- Juan Rodriguez, that was his name, here somewhere around the mouth of the um Houghton River. Whatever you want to imagine him, I don't care. The, this document says he was here. So pe- some people say, did, did, did Juan Rodriguez live in uh, St. Nicholas and 181st Street in the Upper Mountain. Guy, listen, that, first of all, there was no city then. Second, second, what what is the point in knowing whether it was 181st and St. Nick or 85 East uh, Midtown Manhattan? Yeah, I right. don't care. There's evidence that the guy was here, okay, in this area. Yeah. So he spent a few months here coexisting and living with the indigenous guys, the yeah. Native Americans of, of, of the place, the wow. Lenape, I think they were, 
Um, and then the the next year, another Dutch uh, uh, expedition, knowing about the potential of the area, came back to further explore the potential for trading. And when they arrived in the Hudson, whom did they find living there? Juan Rodriguez. Mm -hmm. And uh, as a result of that encounter, a conflict developed between one group of Dutch sailors and, and uh, trade uh, trade people and another, they went back to Holland to try to solve. They were disputing who had arrived. The, the, two, the two Dutch groups were disputing who had arrived first at the Hudson and therefore who had the preeminent right to do trading with Native Americans. Mm -hmm. uh, they went before the authorities in the Netherlands to deal with that. So mm -hmm. they went before notaries and before lawyers, and they they gave they gave the positions and testimonies. In doing that, in giving their stories to explain who had the right or not, who had arrived first or not, in passing, mm -hmm. they mentioned this black rascal they called him, yeah. coming from the Domin from Santo Domingo that they found again here, and who had refused to go back to Holland because. He was free and he didn't want to go to Holland. Yeah. So when you look at Juan Rodriguez in 1613, it happens that because he is the first recorded human being, non-Native mm. non American, mm. that is on paper as having lived steadily in the area of the lower Hudson, he automatically becomes the first settler. Wow. The first settler of non Native American origin. Yeah. Usually when we say settler, we mean foreign, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. here you have who a person that I call uh, a predecessor of uh, Dominicans, you know, being yeah. the first guy that lived at least, insofar as we know, nine months or almost a year with the Native Americans while the Europeans were back in Europe, you know, on his own um, as a man that had come from that place called La Española. Wow. wow, that's so cool. That's really mm -hmm. cool. That's really cool to hear. So that's good. So people, if they want to read more about it, they can go on the academia.edu. Yes, and, and the book is also at the CUNY, CUNY Dominican Studies Institute. Okay. Uh, if they look, if they do a Google CUNY Dominican Studies Institute, it's going to pop up for sure, I'm telling you. Okay. And they go to the website, they go to the research part, and they will find all the publications there, including the study about Juan Rodriguez. Juan Rodriguez had been known by some uh, African African American studies scholars, mm. but he had just been defined as a black man that was very early on on the Hudson. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. As as a Dominican researcher, and when I was at the time at the Dominican Studies Institute, you know, Rodriguez was not just a black man to me. Mm -hmm. He was a Dominican black man. Yeah. Right, yeah, exactly. So that was the motivation to vindicate him because the document says very clear, black man from Santo Domingo. Mm. If it had said black man from Cuba, black man from Puerto Rico, right, right. black man from uh, Honduras, mm. I would have no quarrel with that. Yeah. Absolutely. But yeah. it just happens that to say that he was a black man from Santo Domingo. And we know that there was intense trading between the Dutch and early Dominicans on the western side of the island. Mm. And we know that at the time, most Dominicans were already black people. 
So yeah. it's not strange at all that there's a guy named Juan Rodriguez from Santo Domingo, free, because that's another thing. <coughs> Dominican society developed a sector of fr free black people, not a majority, but a number mm -hmm. of free black people since early on. Mm. So not all early black Dominicans were slaves. No, many, a number of them were free people. Yeah. And you see them in the document. So, and, and then at the end, last year, we did another little piece of research, which is also at the website, mm. about the first black rebellion, anti-slavery rebellion ever recorded again on documents, which happened in Santo Domingo in 1521. Yes. Okay. Um, uh, the, the son of Columbus, who was a governor, he had a sugar plantation and a group of Wolof-led Wolof black slaves at the time rebelled, began yeah. killing whoever they found uh, in the plantation, walked kilometers away trying to uh, persuade other slaves to join the movement mm -hmm. until like two days later they were crushed violently by the mm. Spanish authority. But Next year, 1521, December, it's the fifth, it's the quincentennial. Oh, wow. In 1492, we celebrated a lot Columbus's arrival. Fine with me. <laughs> yeah. Well, next year, we celebrate the first quincentennial of no other than the first black anti-slavery plantation-based rebellion ever recorded. And that wow. happened in Santo Domingo, half an hour away from Santo Domingo City in a river, on a river called Nigua River in San Cristobal. Okay, wow. it's, it's, it's fully Facts. documented. So we produce a little research uh, updating and explaining this whole thing. For a long time, researchers thought it had occurred in 1522, mm -hmm. but we discovered through reviewing the bibliography and the documents that it was actually December of 1521, Christmas oh, time. Wow. They took the opportunity that the masters were drinking wine and celebrating the birth of Jesus Christ, yeah. and they rebelled and began wow. trying to become free. Good for that. So that's next year. And I hope if we can continue talking about this, because some of us are doing that in New York City, as well as in DR, that the two of you and your friends could join the effort yes. to make sure that in New York City, we do commemorate. This is this is no this is no joke. Yeah. Historically talking, this is no nothing. Uh, th this is this this is not meaningless. Yeah, no, it's a big deal. Uh, the New York Times launched their nice project 16, 1619, You know, six yeah. months ago. Uh, blessed, blessed be it. Well, there's this other kind of event that right. happened in this little place where Dominicans come from that um, uh, was the first rebellion, okay? Wow. Uh, some people say, guys, you now have Juan Rodriguez. He was the first settler. Yeah. Now you come down with the first black rebellion in the Americas. What else wow. What else do you want? Yeah. Listen, this is not invented history. Yeah, this yes. is part of the history of Dominicans. Yeah, yeah it's know. so cool. Um, yeah, it's so, so cool. Uh, we, some of us are trying to uh, promote a commemoration and hopefully something more enduring you know yeah. after it uh next year and uh, anybody who is willing to help we have a little a little page on 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 facebook about this thing mm -hmm. uh 1521 um first rebellion 
Um, and uh, I look forward to having people join us because uh, it's, it's a way to show Dominicans in the United States and friends of Dominicans in the United States that the history of this little people from this little place called Dominican Republic is connected. Yeah. to the history of everybody else. Yeah, yeah. exactly. And, uh, and it's a shared history, by the way. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So, I mean, you guys heard it first that we are Black. You guys got that yeah. from the yeah. historian, <laughs> okay? Um, so what books can you suggest to our listeners before we let you go of, you know, people like us who are trying to learn more, any books that you can let us know that you, you know, recommend? You uh, know, thinking about that this morning, I was, um, I felt some anxiety because, a few years ago, I tried to launch like uh, a general intro to Dominican history website, and I let it die. It was a little bit expensive. I still have the, the, the right to the name, and I hope to revamp it uh, soon, mm -hmm. maybe next year, where I was trying to offer some introduction to Dominican history. Mm. Nothing online exists unless Wikipedia. No. You know, it's yeah. incredible. Yes. It's, it's just an indication of how far behind we are in mm -hmm. terms of our efforts to consolidate and disseminate our history and culture. It's absolutely mind-boggling that we don't have a site yet, 2021, on Dominican history on the on the, on the the internet. Uh, so I felt bad about that uh, because I could have given you an address and say, look, go in there and you'll find everything that you need at an intro level. But mm -hmm. I can't do that now because I canceled the, the site. So I'm going to leave you with two titles. Okay. One is... Uh, the Dominican Republic History by Frank Moya Pons. Okay. okay. Uh, and by the way, the Dominican Studies Institute has a bibliosite there. Oh, uh, okay. Um, yeah, you can. Uh, so, so the Dominican Republic and National History. Okay. It's kind of, it's a little bit outdated, but nothing similar exists again. Okay. We, we have to work with what we have. Yeah. We right? have to work with and then yes. try to improve, obviously. Absolutely. Okay. And then besides this, there is a U.S.-based, New York-born historian that works at the University of Virginia. We have ended up becoming friends. His name is Richard Turitz. Richard okay. Turitz. He has what I consider the best one chapter of introduction to Dominican colonial history mm. that anybody has written in English. Richard Turitz. And it's the, the chapter is part of a book that he wrote about the Trujillo regime. Oh. Tourists, T-U-R-T-S, Tourists, okay? The book is Foundations of Despotism. Okay. The second chapter in that book is the most encompassing, down-to-earth, direct, and rich summary of that entire colonial period that I'm aware of. Mm. Um, I told him the other day, I hadn't told him, and he was like, wow, what you're saying about my book? Just listen, um, I, 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 I had not studied his book for a long time because I'm into colonial 16th century. That's my stuff. Yeah. I practically don't read anything else because I'm the only one that does it. Okay. Uh, the, the, uh, 16th century documents, but I have been familiarizing myself with Richard Turich's work mm. and uh, that chapter. I mean, his book about Trujillo is fascinating. Okay. Mm -hmm. Very, very good quality hi historical research. Okay. okay. Uh, and his chapter about the history prior to Trujillo is just excellent. I mean, it's very clear. For some, like high school students, it might be a little bit dense. You would need help from a dictionary or a professor yeah. to, to, to help you. But for a, a college-age person, 
it should it should be okay and it's really good the other thing is as a context you know i would also recommend uh, a new book by richard turitz and uh, uh, another historian named lauren dubois okay uh, lauren dubois is a specialist in haitian history oh, and okay. uh, <coughs> more than haitian uh, french caribbean history like martinique guadalupe and so on mm -hmm. okay the two of them have published this book named freedom roots Freedom mm. Roots, Freedom. Histories from the Caribbean. Mm. It came out last year, uh, last year, early this year, I think. This book is very good. And okay. one thing it has is, is that it's one of the few introductions to the Caribbean, going back to what you were saying an hour and a half ago about your experience in college in terms of Caribbean history courses. Yeah. Just giving 20, 15 minutes to the Dominican Republic within the semester. Okay. Yeah. This, this book, allocates a lot of attention to history, to the Dominican Republic and Haiti. Mm. Because okay. the two authors are very knowledgeable about the Spanish Caribbean uh, colonies and the French Caribbean colonies. Mm -hmm. So uh, I would uh, I would strongly recommend, as a, and, and this book has a nice bibliography, by the way. Okay. So people oh, could go and find more. Yeah. And, uh, well, maybe... If I'm lucky, six 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 months down the road, sometime next year, I could call you back and say, "Listen, do you remember that website I was talking about? <laughs> yeah. The General Interest of Dominican History is now available because it's it's pretty much needed. Um, we we need educational materials yes. for Dominican students, definitely, and um, all levels. All yes, uh, entry level, you know, uh, first grade, fourth, ba 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 ba, middle school, mm -hmm. college. We need. Uh, we need um, we need a good set of materials, and that can only happen when people that have a minimum training yeah. put their time to it. And mm -hmm. uh, usually, you hear the excuse that there's no funding, that uh, public institutions are not supporting such a thing. Listen, people, many people that I know who are familiar with Dominican culture, they 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 find time to go on vacation, travel. <laughs> and uh, have meetings during the weekends with friends, which is a very healthy thing to do. Well, part of that time could be allocated little by little to yeah. producing these materials that Absolutely. our kids and our young people need. Yeah. And uh, that's another chapter, you know, how do you mobilize and organize Dominican uh, talent in terms of uh, uh, people who have college-level training yeah. in producing Dominican materials, uh, Dominican-related materials. That's that's part of the whole pending struggle that we have ahead of us. It's already late, 50 years after the max, ma massive migration, but I, I say better late than never, right? Yeah. So yeah, let's, absolutely. let's keep at it. Yeah. yeah, well, I mean, we're so glad that we were able to have this conversation yeah. with you. Thank you so and much for talking with well, us today. Hopefully you'll want to come back again sometime and we can continue this conversation because this mm -hmm. is a conversation that is so multifaceted and there's so deep. And yeah. I know we just got to the surface of things. Yeah, it's just like we're just like grazing. like Absolutely. Um, and, and let me let me just say that uh, I feel very happy that you are doing this uh, effort of having this um, online, uh, this, this this podcast uh, uh, initiative to discuss uh, things Dominican or things Afro-Dominican. Mm -hmm. um, uh, both are very, as you were saying, very broad. Um, yeah. there's, there's, there's stuff there for yes. a year of podcasts. Right? Yes. <laughs> and um, 
the whole the whole Afro Dominican thing is a fascinating one. Um, with I, the Dominican thing in general, but I think that um, because of uh, the opportunity that many Dominican Americans and the uh, U.S. residing Dominicans have had uh, at familiarizing ourselves with, uh, for instance, the the struggles of African Americans in terms of the civil rights movement, you know, Black Lives Matter, as you were saying, uh, at one point, um, we we should take uh, advantage, if you want, advantage of uh, this historic opportunity that we have we are we are confronting yes. in our own lifetime mm -hmm. to also use that experience to illuminate the issue of Dominican blackness. Because exactly. sometimes when when you compare the Dominican experience with other experiences, it's easier to understand it. Yeah. It 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 generates problems and it becomes a challenge, but at the same time, it's uh it's it's useful and uh, also, you know, um going back to the merit of what you are doing, the two of you, uh I find that there's still too many people in the U.S. Um, that, again, look at us Dominicans in too much of a simplistic manner in terms of our racial mentalities and uh, though and our relationship with blackness. Mm -hmm. And uh, though it's a complicated, tough conversation, mm -hmm. it's a one that we need to have. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, based on facts, based on respect, based on a willingness to learn and and discover more information sound information mm -hmm. so uh your your effort could easily end up uh helping this dialogue between uh us uh, citizens fellow americans in many instances fellow african americans Mm -hmm. that uh, don't necessarily always feel comfortable or feel that they understand how we Dominicans relate to blackness. Yeah. Mm. Um, it's, it's useful to have people who act as mediators in the conversation. Yes. Okay. Uh, it's, it's always useful. So um, I guess the more we learn about Dominican blackness, the more equipped and useful, I hope, we will be in helping U.S. Uh, fellow citizens and uh, African-Americans understand that uh, the relationship between Dominicans and blackness is not as simple, yeah. unilateral, uh, and prejudiced as some people believe it is. Mm -hmm. It's much more complex, nuanced, uh, and uh, plainly, uh, sometimes even encouraging. Uh, there is a lot of Dominicans that more and more, both in the island as well as here, we are still a, a minority, I have to say, minority, but it's growing. Yeah. Dominicans who are vindicating their blackness and uh, the, the, the dignity of that heritage. Mm -hmm. And uh, they don't always make the front page of the newspaper. Oh, mm. On the contrary, okay, it's very hard for them to persuade journalists and writers and TV producers to give them attention, to, to, 
to to admit that they exist and that what they are doing is authentic mm-hmm. and uh, noble, okay, and important. So um, we have all these components that what you are doing in in, in different ways can help uh, uh, um, bridge and build at the same time. Yeah. So I openly encourage you to continue doing so. Thank, Thank you, you so much. Yes. Okay. Thank you so much. Yes. We really appreciate your time. Thank, as we say in Dominican Spanish, encantado. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, yeah. Thank Bye. you. Thank we'll you keep so much. you posted and yeah. we're going to yeah. um, add all of this information and anything else that you have to our website um, yeah. so that our listeners, if they want to reach out and they want to learn more, we're going to look forward to that website. Yeah. We're going to be checking on that yeah. um, because we definitely need something like that. Because yeah. as we were doing research, it was hard for us to even find anything. Yeah. You know, it was so challenging. So we're so grateful for you. Yeah. And thank, thank you for you, your thank time. Thank you for inviting me. Yes. Thank, thank you. you. Thank, thank you, you so much. So much. And, we'll, we'll... And say hello to Senaida when you're here. <laughs> for sure. Bye-bye. 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 Thank much you. Wow. 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 That was That was amazing. Insane. Yeah, it's it's like so great. And like I, I just like I am fascinated with this whole like United States Dominican Republic relationship yeah. and history. It's so deep and richer than we think. And I mean so much that we don't we didn't know about our African heritage or influence yeah. like and it's how many everywhere centuries it's been in in dr like we like, can't deny that guys yeah we cannot deny that yeah and um i mean i'm so glad he gave us some books too to like, like yeah so we yeah because keep... i need to learn more like yeah i mean the first documented sl- black slave rebellion yeah. In fucking Dominican Republic. Yeah. That is so cool. Yeah. Thank well, goodness for him. Well, listeners, we really hope you enjoyed that as much as we did. We are just so happy right now and hyped to hear all this information from, again, he is Anthony Stevens. Um, Acevedo. Acevedo. Um, and follow us, please. Remember, our IG is at Rocio and Mercedes. Our Twitter is R&M Podcast. And our email is Rocio and Mercedes at gmail.com. Hit us up. Let us know what you think about this episode. You know, if you have any questions, you tweet at us, email yeah. us, whatever. Uh, follow us on Instagram for more information on this episode and future episodes of this yeah and we're going to continue this conversation about the history of dominican republic so email us your questions yeah email us hit us up holla peace we black y'all we black <laughs> <laughs>